Well, as um, Scott comes up here to join me, I just want to tell you all that I am truly expectant. Um, I am expecting to hear from the Lord through Scott, and I expect to hear from the Lord through whoever gets up here to preach. But this morning, here you can put your stuff and get situated. This morning, as I was driving here, I just had a strong sense that the Lord, um, and I've shared this with Scott, that the Lord said, he's got a message for us. Listen. And so um, Scott is a friend. He's been campus ministry leader at Grand Valley for many years and um, most recently made a really, I think, a, a decision of integrity that must have been incredibly hard to cut your own position when funding was tight. And yet the Lord provided a new position for the visionary leader that you are, Scott. You've had a passion for mission and for how to get the gospel out. Mm-hmm. And you are a lover of Jesus and a visionary. And uh, I just remember sitting over in an upstairs room at Grand Valley looking out over the city and listening and talking and praying and crying and wondering. And that was many years ago. It was. And now you're in a position with our denomination to lead this region in mission. And so we honor you and we bless you. And um, we're eager to hear what God's put on your heart today to share with us. Mm. So, thank you, Pastor. <laughs> Eat us. Okay. How am I supposed to talk now? <laughs> uh, you do honor me. Um, and I am deeply grateful to be here with you all. Uh, especially the deep privilege that it is to come and share with you all on the, something so deeply foundational to our faith as to uh, listen together and practice together the prayer that the way of prayer that Jesus taught us from Matthew chapter six, which if you are uh, if you have your own Bible, that's where we're going to be reading from uh, this morning. It's my understanding that this is in part of the series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm not going to say a lot about the Sermon on the Mount itself, but just to know that as you I've been invited to come in in this particular moment. And in fact, when Pastor Gina reached out initially and said, hey, Scott, I'm really surprised, but I'm grateful for this new position that God has called you into. I wonder if you'd be willing to come and uh, share with Gold Avenue Church. And I said, yes, but my calendar is completely booked except for this one day that I have available in January. And she said, well, we're doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and that one is going to be probably on uh, the Lord's Prayer Um, do you have anything that you would want to bring about that? And my response was, well, I do have a message that I love on the missional prayer of Jesus. Would that work? Yes. (laughs) And so uh, I was deeply grateful um, for how the Lord even orchestrated that. But as I started to prepare for this, I started to become anxious, church. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Because I knew I was coming into a place that is seasoned in prayer. And I was coming into a place where the leadership is deep uh, in prayer. Uh, And I know that because my first experience with Gold Avenue Church uh, came as a direct result of prayer. When campus ministry at GVSU was in 2012 beginning to investigate and discern, Lord, are you calling us to develop a ministry initiative on our Grand Rapids campus and not just our Allendale campus? 
part of that discernment was space. Like, where would we actually gather with students? In Allendale, we have a wonderful space that God has provided for us over years, this miraculous story. I'd love to tell you about it sometime. But we didn't have that in Grand Rapids. And so, quite literally, my uh, much smaller staff at the time were just prayer walking. You all know something about that around here, I think. We were prayer walking the neighborhood, and I come, my, I lift my eyes, and behold, there's a church two blocks from campus. And then I found out that it was a Christian Reformed church two blocks from campus. I'm a Christian Reformed pastor. Y'all will excuse me if I knock here on the communion table. Hi, Pastor Dave answers the door. We'd never met. I'm Scott Stark. I'm a campus minister at Grand Valley. I'm a Christian Reformed pastor. We're looking for space to meet with college students. I wonder if you'd let us use your basement. I think it was a little more slick than that, but not much, Pastor Dave. Is that about right? Is that about capture our first conversation? And then you said, you know what? God has been putting on our hearts in prayer. How do we be engaged in that campus community? I've got ideas. And that was the beginning of my relationship with uh, Goldath Church. And over the years, over and over and over again, it has been very, very clear to me how much your leadership and how much that uh, their leadership has led to a church that is actively seeking God in prayer. And so I come knowing I am in good company in this, but also a little bit embarrassed because uh, truth be told, y'all, prayer is hard for me. It is really hard for me. I am a total novice in prayer yet to this very day. It doesn't come easy. Now, I'm talking here very specifically about not the urgent prayers of life. Like the urgent prayers of life. Here's a person and there's a need and we're going to seek God about that specific need. I can do that. Or the prayers that we find like with uh, with, uh, Peter when he's out in the boat with Jesus and he, he has a moment of faith, and he's like, Lord, if it's you, let me come out there with you on the water. And he takes a step, and then he looks around, and he's like, what have I gotten myself into? And he starts to sink. Y'all ever have that feeling of, I, I felt like God was telling me to do something, and now I'm sinking. And then he cries out, Lord, save me. I'm good at that one. I got, I got that prayer down. But the consistent day in and day out Seeking God in prayer. That's the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. The kind of prayer where we lay down the regular work of our lives in order to take up the work of prayer. Like I have struggled with that since the day I met Jesus almost 30 years ago. It's not because I don't want it. I want a deep and rich prayer life. I want it desperately. I want a life where intimacy with God is as natural and normal as breathing. Like I want a life of prayer where prayer is a wellspring from which everything else in my life flows. But I find myself so often in my life that when I want that, when I, when I reach for it, what, what it tastes like to me is just tepid and stale. I don't know if any of y'all know what I'm talking about i got good news, church, for those of us that find ourselves weary in prayer. When Jesus taught this lesson on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he is talking to people whose lives are not all together. 
This message is for people who felt like their prayers were not being heard. People who hear this message are hungering and thirsting for more of God in their life. And Jesus says, you've probably already talked about this already, blessed, blessed are you when you're hungry and you're thirsty for more of God in your life. Amen? So I have good news for you that are hungry and thirsty this morning. Those with a deep longing for God. Jesus has shown us the way to the Father. And my hope is today that each one of us walk away from this time with God, encouraged and equipped to take one more step, one more step, (laughs) in a deeply intimate relationship with the Father that Jesus had. Because that's exactly what Jesus wants for us. Amen? So let's read the scriptures together, starting with uh, verse 5, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus says this, when you pray, and again, this is the daily time set aside of seeking God's face. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray, standing up in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've already received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling on like the pagans do, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Don't be like that. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. This is the word of the Lord. We give thanks to God for it. Ah, What a breath of fresh air this prayer is. Amen? I think if he were talking directly to us today, Jesus would open this section with something like this. When you pray, don't make a performance out of it. You don't need to post it. Don't worry if it's eloquent. You're not trying to impress anybody. God isn't grading your prayers. Communion with God That's its own reward. Pray this way. Father in heaven. Oh, Pastor Dave, Gina, Pastor Jalisa, Pastor Cody, he knows me well enough for sure. And now newly minted Pastor Marissa. Y'all got to pray for me especially today because you know I can really wander. I can wander in some stuff. I'm trying to stay on the main road. Especially on this because Father in heaven is a sermon unto itself. Isn't that right, Pastor Lisa? Father in heaven. The Sermon on the Mount actually is where Jesus introduces us to the language of God as Father. We see it in the baptism of Jesus, right? When, and you've probably come to this part already, right? When we see Jesus at his baptism and the Father opens up the sky and he says, This is my Son 
in whom I am well pleased. And now Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, introduces God not only as His Father, but ours. This is so fundamental to our prayers that I don't want to miss the significance of it. When we pray, Our Father in Heaven, that simple first phrase reorients us to a beautiful reality, friends. A reality in which we are loved and we are led. I heard one of you, I think it was over here, prayed gratitude for children. Amen. Um, But it's in that that we also learn to be children, those who are loved and who are led. And this reorientation of reality, the true reality of being people who are loved and led by God is absolutely essential in a world that can be very disorienting. A world where we are constantly inundated with messages about who we are, what we should be. Students struggle with this all the time. Isn't that right, Marissa? Students struggle with this, but parents struggle with this. Single people struggle with this. Married people struggle with this. Working people struggle with this. Retired people, you know what I'm talking about. So many of us struggle with messages that are so disorienting about who we are and what we're supposed to be in the world. And when we come, the very first thing we do when we come to God is say, Father, I need to be reoriented to the beautiful reality. In Christ, we are loved and we are led by the Father through Christ. Isn't that good news? And that'd be enough by itself, but there's more. This is prayer as Jesus teaches us, a prayer that reorients us to the beautiful reality of being loved and led by the Father. And the pathway of reorientation has kind of seven trailheads to it. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one because we're doing the whole thing, right? But if you are, some of you maybe have gone through the 12 steps before, or maybe that's part of your life right now. Um, you understand that the 12 steps are reorienting pathway into life in sobriety. These seven steps are a reorienting pathway into life as the children of God. And the reorientation is this. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as, sorry, on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Seven steps. I'm going to break those into what we'll call the big three global requests and the final four local ones. Right, the, the global steps that funnel their way down into the local steps. This reorientation of the spirit in prayer, takes both the global and a local reality. It starts with this big picture, but it lands on the ground in our neighborhood and in our lives. Reorientation begins by asking that the Father's name be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let's play with this a little bit. So, um, again, I'm accustomed to being with uh, students I don't spend enough time with them now, so I need the church to be uh, with me in this. I need some back and forth. So let me ask you this question. 
would you anticipate that if you were standing in heaven right now in the presence of God, that in that space God's name is hallowed? Say, yes. And if you were in that space and it was the place where God's name is hallowed, would you also anticipate that in that place the authority of God as king would be recognized? Absolutely. And in the place where God's name is hallowed and his authority is recognized, would you agree that most likely the scenario is that when God says something, God's will is done? Yes. That seems really obvious when we think about it in heaven, doesn't it? And in fact, we know that's true because Revelation 4, John gets a vision of that. And what he sees is around the throne of God with the angels and the elders. And what do they say? You are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things and by your will they are created and have their being. We know that that's true. You can't imagine. Well, maybe you can. I can't imagine that at the gathering before the throne of God, one of the angels would say, you know, God, do I have to? Could you ask Gabriel to do that maybe today? That just wouldn't happen. It's unimaginable that in heaven, God's glory and God's authority and God's will would not be done. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus' prayer. He teaches us to pray for our Father to receive the same glory, thus have to rule with the same authority, and that His will would be done with the same sincere obedience right here, just like it is in heaven. That Jesus teaches us to quite literally pray for heaven on earth. This is radical prayer. Every time we pray, we're asking the Father to invade the earth with the glory, authority, and will of heaven. Oh! Then, you know, I, I could think that this is just crazy talk until I'm reminded This has always been what God's been up to. This is what we see in the garden. Don't we see our father walking with his children on earth just as he does in heaven? And even when that breaks down by sin, God is not content to dwell in heaven and not on earth. In fact, the sending of Jesus is it not the sending of the glory, the authority and the will of God from heaven to earth. God's redemption is still moving in this direction. We know that it's going to climax with what we see in Revelation 21 when we hear the loud voice proclaiming from the throne, the home of God is now among the people and he will dwell with them. He's going to be there. They will be his people and he will be their God. And Jesus teaches us to regularly, consistently seek God for this very thing that as his children, we are calling out to the father, come home and live with us. Come home and be with us. Dwell on earth just as in heaven. This global reorientation of the earth being filled with heaven has practical implication for life right here on the ground. 
Right? So the big three of God's glory and God's authority and God's will, they funnel down and they hit right on the ground, kind of like the incarnation where the glory of God lands in a specific place at a specific time in the flesh. And so we pray. If it's true that in heaven all needs are met, then it absolutely makes sense for us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Because when earth is filled with heaven, we live in right relationship with God and our neighbors. And so we pray, forgive us our debts, God, and give us the power to forgive others. And when we live in right relationship with uh, God and each other, we are no longer led by our temptations. We are led in righteousness. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation. And when heaven is filling the earth, We are delivered from the tyranny of the devil. And so we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Do you see how it all fits together? Man, you think Jesus was good at this. This move from the global call of the Father to uh, inhabit and invade the earth with his glory, authority, and will lands on our front door on the ground. Every part of human existence is covered here. It is held by the transformative vision of this prayer. Present, past, and future. Physical, emotional, ethical, spiritual. There is nothing that is not redeemed on the earth when it is filled with heaven. Somebody say amen. Amen. Isn't this exactly what we see in Jesus' life? The Word made flesh. The fusion of heaven and earth. When there's not enough bread, what does Jesus do? He multiplies the bread. When there's demonic power controlling somebody's life, what does Jesus do? He sets them free. When His disciples are tempted by fear or power or even for good things that are at the wrong time, what does Jesus do? He leads them out of temptation and He leads them into righteousness. And when Jesus Himself is confronted by hate, what does He do? He forgives. Even on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus' whole mission. To reconcile all things, as Paul will tell us, in heaven and on earth, through the cross, is we are encouraged to participate in by seeking the Father to complete his mission of redemption for the world. So when we see prayer this way, a couple things, this reorientation that God does in us, at least two things happen. There's so many things, but I'm going to name two. First of all, the Spirit begins to open our eyes. And we can see it happening. Every time there's provision for a family that's struggling, every time there's forgiveness between a couple that's fighting, every time there's deliverance from addiction, we are witnessing the invasion of earth from heaven. Amen? And I can see it when I'm constantly seeking God in prayer this way because I'm reoriented. But not only can I see what God is doing when I'm being reoriented by God in prayer, but I can begin to see and get vision for what the Spirit can and will do as I'm reoriented in prayer 
asking God more and more and more for his glory, his authority, and his will to be done here on earth, just like it is in heaven. I can begin to see that my neighbor would have enough money to eat and sleep in a place that's safe. And I can begin to see what that can look like. I begin to see the families and roommates living in peace with one another. I can begin to see how our politics can be a way of building bridges between communities rather than a way of building walls between us and them. Amen? I can begin to see that if we are being led in righteousness, people are being set free uh, from their addictions and wouldn't need to seek the escape from the world because our love for the world is deepening. And I can begin to see injustice become unimaginable because our imaginations are so utterly captivated by the glory of God, the authority of God and the will of God in the world. All when we spend, when I spend time, I'm testifying now, but when I spend time daily seeking God and letting the Spirit reorient my vision, I can see every darkness can be put out with the light of Christ. I can see the most hopeless circumstances being transformed with the power of heaven. If the power of heaven can resurrect Jesus from the dead, right? I mean, that means there's nothing, there's nobody who cannot be redeemed. And through the reorientation of prayer that Jesus teaches, the Spirit opens our eyes and we can see it. Praise God. And then the Spirit opens our hands so that we can participate. There's no way you can begin seeing the world through the eyes of the Spirit that happens in prayer and not participate. This is where the entire Sermon on the Mount concludes. I don't want to mess up any plans, sorry. But, you know, pick this up if you need to. Jesus finishes his message about what it means to be children of the Heavenly Father by saying, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And so my encouragement to us today, friends, is to be children of our Heavenly Father who are seeking our Father, seeking with our Father to join the family business, to be a church that makes our neighborhood a little bit more like heaven on earth because we're here, to be in your workplace, to seek that that place would be a little bit more like heaven on earth because of the presence of the people of God there, to be a Campus where our school looks a little bit more like heaven on earth because the people of God are there and they're seeing and they're acting. Man, can you imagine? When I pray, I can imagine. Even heading into a big election year. I don't know if you all have heard that. You all heard us an election coming? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it seems like for Christians we kind of set aside all of this and take up something else. No, even in this, when there's so much fear and so much tension and so much rage around us, oh church, that we would be children of our Heavenly Father who seek to be people who are forgiven and who forgive. To be led in righteousness, not in temptation. To be conformed, not to the powers and principalities of our world, but to be transformed in prayer by asking our Father 
to bring the fullness of his glory, his authority, and his will right here, right now, in this place today, just as it is in heaven. I can imagine what that would look like. Can you, Pastor Gina? Can we do that? Can we seek God together to be those kind of people? People who are loved and led by a heavenly father who will not stop until the fullness of his glory and his authority and his will are done on earth just as it is in heaven. Amen? Let me pray that for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you not only teach us how to pray this way, but when we look at your life, This is who you are. And we want to be like our big brother, our Lord and our Savior. And so we pray, God, that today, for those of us for whom it is really hard to see how you're going to provide for what we need, God, would you bring heaven, the provision of heaven to earth. And for those of us, God, that are struggling to not only experience your forgiveness, but to believe you can forgive us. And those of us that are struggling to forgive those that have hurt us, God, by the power of your Spirit, work a miracle in our hearts today. Work your salvation in us. And Lord, for those of us that struggle with temptation, God, that just seems like the the way of righteousness we stumble on all the time and find ourselves in other paths Will you, loving Father, lead us on the path of righteousness for your namesake? And God, for those of us whose lives are being oppressed by the enemy, whether that be through addiction or through our participation in the powers and principalities of the world, God, will you set us free? Will you... Take, a, take off the chains that captivate us so that we can live freely as your children. Lord, I, in some ways, this is way too much for us to ask. It seems like pie in the sky, which is why it's so important and so essential that it's you, God. You're the one who does this. Not one of us has ever brought in a, a, a stone of the kingdom into reality, but as you bring it by your spirit, nothing is impossible. Nothing that can't be redeemed. So do your good work in us. Build your kingdom right here, right now, on earth, just as it is in heaven. All God's people say, Amen.